0: This is about the blind man who received healing and sight on the Sabbath and about spiritual darkness. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, Jesus found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He asked, Who is the Son of Man, sir, so that I can believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. The Son of Man is the one talking with you. He said, Lord, I believe. Then the man worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus said this, I came into this world so that the world could be judged. I came so that the blind would see. So that those who see will become blind. Thank you, Brother Bill. I don't know about you, but it's good to be here this morning. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I appreciate Michael Prentice and the way he's led us in our worship this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I appreciate uh, that we have a God and a Savior who demands our attention and wants our love. Amen? Amen? I'm thankful and I'm appreciative that I live in a country where we can gather together and we can exercise our right to worship our God who loves us. Amen? So if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 9, and we're going to take some time this morning to study together. Now, uh, I hope that you got a handout. Uh, That handout should have uh, the ability for you to take sermon notes this morning. It should also have a table talk on the back. We kind of explained that uh, last time that I was here. But that's for you and your family uh, to go over sometime this week so that you can uh, incorporate faith into your talk at home. Alright, also this morning I want you to know that if you are a tablet user or a phone Bible person on YouVersion, if you go uh, over to that like more section on the bottom panel of your UVersion app and search events and allow YouVersion to use your location, you'll find the exact same thing that's on that blue piece of paper on your phone if you would rather um, take notes that way this morning. Also, um, I put this on... Before we begin, I put this video on Facebook. We're not going to take the time to watch it this morning. But if you would, at some point, if you have not already, go and watch this video. It's about eight minutes, and it is uh, from the movie The Gospel of John, and it acts out John chapter 9. It would really benefit your own study of this passage uh, as in your own life. All right, John chapter 9. John chapter 9. This entire year, Barry has been going through the book of John and he's been looking at this idea of kingdom living. And what a great um, topic that has been. And I don't know about you, but I've been blessed because of it. Helen Keller said that the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Uh, This morning we have the opportunity to study a passage in which a man received his sight and not only did he receive his sight, but he received his vision. And I hope that we this morning as Christians and even as some of us uh, today uh, that might not be Christians that are lost in our sin, I hope that our eyes, our spiritual eyes can be opened to the goodness of God and not only having sight today, but that we can leave here today with a vision about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Because if we cannot leave here today and say, what does it look like for me to live in the kingdom of God? We've missed our point. We've missed the point as a Christian if we don't know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. So if you would, let's study together. I want to point out six things about kingdom living uh, and living in God's kingdom. The first thing that I want us to notice this morning is that kingdom living starts with an interaction with the king. It's that simple. You cannot live in the kingdom of God unless you have an interaction with the king. Notice the first couple of verses here. Of John chapter 9. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Uh, Let's just stop right there. Let's not go any further. The first thing about having an interaction with the king that we need to know is that we serve a king who is not blind, we serve a king that's not blind. The very uh, first four verses says that uh, first four words say that whenever Jesus passed by, now where is he coming from? If you look in John chapter eight, where did he just leave? He just left the temple. Now what happened while Jesus was at the temple? All right, he was being uh, threatened to be stoned. Right? Uh, they took up stones and they were ready to kill Jesus because he said. I am, you know, he made, he made this big exclamation and this big point saying, hey, I am God. You know, if somebody walked into our assembly today and said, hey, I'm God, you know, we might get a little upset too, but they were ready to kill him, so he leaves and he's passing by, right, he's walking on his way out, and what does he do? What's the next word? He saw a man, right? He saw a man. what was on the mind of Jesus at this time? They were ready to kill him. He was fleeing for his life. It was not time for him to die yet. And he took the time to see someone in need. We serve a king who is not blind. Jesus always has this way of seeing people that are in need. We can look at how he sees the heart of the rich young ruler in Luke uh, 18, or Zacchaeus and the tax collector in Luke 19, uh, the blind man by the pool of Bethsaida in John 5. We can go on all day about how Jesus takes time, even whenever there's chaos going on in his own life, to see people. This morning, I want you to know that God sees you. I want you to know that Jesus sees you. Uh, He sees our sin. You know, sometimes we have sin that we want to hide from people. This morning I want you to know that God sees our sin. And that can be a scary thing. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But not only is Jesus and God not blind to our sin, He's also not blind to the fact that our hearts are pained, and that our hearts are weary, and that our hearts are heavy. Jesus is not blind to the pain in your life. Uh, Matthew 11 and 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus is not blind to the fact that we need Him. Jesus is not blind to the fact that we need Him in our life. Uh, I think of John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning you might be here today and you might think that you're always overlooked. Uh, You might think that no one cares about you. I want you to know that we serve God and we have an opportunity to have an interaction with the King who is not blind. You're seen this morning. You're seen by God and you're loved by God. But just along with that, our king is compassionate. Notice verses 2 and verse 3. Our king is so compassionate. Verse 2, And his disciples were asking him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now what's happening? So, this man sitting by, he's having a bag. That's how, he, that's how he survives. He's begging by the temple, trying to get money. And, and the disciples come up and they say, uh, a Rabbi, teacher, uh, who sinned in this man's life? Why is this man like this? Why, why is he blind? Is, is it his own sin? Or is it his parents' sin? Now this is because of a misunderstanding of Scriptures during their culture. Uh, they thought that if you suffered, that, that it was either your own sin that you did before you were born, or it was the sin of your parents that carried it over to you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I'm not making a, a theological argument or a debate about this man's sin. I'm not here for the purpose to talk about theological arguments. And I'm not here for the purpose to be uh, telling you if it was this man's sin or if it was his parents' sin. Neither one of them is the reason that this man is suffering. Now, he never said that they never sinned. He just said it's not their fault that this man suffers. What does he say the reason for his suffering is? So that the work of God might be displayed through him. So this morning, we might be here. We might have something going on in our life. We might be suffering. There might be sin that's causing pain in our hearts, and our life. Uh, Maybe there's something physically going on in your life. I want you to know this morning that your suffering is not because of your sin. Now, suffering is in the world because of sin. But Jesus says, I'm not here to talk about why you're suffering. What I'm here is to help you win in your suffering. This morning, we serve a God who is compassionate and wants to help us win in our suffering and win over the hardships in our life. Jesus is here to help us win. To help us live in His kingdom. And because of that, because He is not blind and because He is compassionate, He's in the healing business. Our King is in the healing business. Notice verses 4 through 7. I must work the works of Him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made the clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Because our king is in the healing business, notice what type of business it is. It's an urgent business. He says, While it is day, I must do the work of my father. Jesus healing you today is an urgent business. Jesus healing us today is an urgent business because there's coming a time when the day will be over. Jesus says there is a time where I can no longer heal. And while I can heal, it has to be done now. What does that mean? A lot of people will say uh, that the night is this three-day three period whenever Jesus is in the grave. I, I want to stretch this a little bit night's judgment. The night is judgment. Because Jesus is still working today. Jesus is still saving souls today. And there's coming a time whenever the Lord comes back that it's over. The ability to become a child of God is no more. And if you're here today and you are not a child of God, you have not been put on in Christ in baptism. If you have not made the steps, taken the steps to become a child of God, Jesus said, it is of most urgency that I save your soul today. Today. You cannot and will not, after judgment comes, become a child of God. There is a time coming where the doors of heaven are shut, and right now they're open. So I beg with you and plead with you, if you are here this morning and you, you have not become a child of God, become one today. It is urgent. Jesus wants to help you win, but you have to allow Him. Because he's in the healing business. We know that he there's recorded over 40 miracles in the Bible, but we know he didn't just do 40 because of John 20 and 30, and John 21 and 25 that says, you know, if they were all recorded, that there wouldn't be enough books in the world to, to write down everything. And Jesus says in Luke 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're here this morning, you're sin. Jesus was manifested and Jesus came to save your soul. And those of us that have been saved, those of us who have put Christ on in a watery baptism for the forgiveness of our sins, have been healed. And you've been saved. And it's of utmost urgency that we carry out the work of the Lord as well. So what about this miracle? What's so special about this miracle? Uh, Jesus comes up to this man and He touches him. He has compassion. He he picks up some, some dirt and He spits in it. And he rubs this clay on his eyes. And, and historically, saliva has been seen as a way to, to help heal the eyes. Historically, uh, mud has been seen as a way to heal. The eyes, but never have the two been put together. And and there's a lot of commentators and a lot of historians that will want to go on about how this is so special. Friends, let me tell you this morning, it didn't matter if Jesus would have put clay on his eyes or not. If Jesus wanted to heal his eyes, he was going to heal his eyes. Because we can look in Scripture that Jesus speaks to save the nobleman's son, that's John 4, uh, 46 and 54. We can look at how Jesus touches the lepers and, and they are healed in Luke 5, 12, and 16. And and Jesus is touched and luke 8 and 43 and 48 and and the woman that is bleeding is healed well the point i'm trying to make is jesus saves jesus heals it doesn't matter how he does it he can do it and he will do it and in this man's life he created sight he didn't just restore sight in this man's life he created sight so what do we know about the miracle Jesus saw the man. Jesus had compassion on the man. And Jesus healed the man. Jesus provided a way for this man to have a way to be healed. And Jesus asked the man to respond in faith by obedience. Jesus asked the man to respond in faith by obedience. So what does it mean in my life? Jesus wants to heal me. Jesus wants to save my sin sick soul. Galatians three thirteen and 14. It's a beautiful passage. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Another beautiful study is in 1 John. You can look at the words uh, manifested. If you, if you read through the book of 1 John, underline every time it says manifested. And you're going to come across a passage like this in chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. Jesus was manifested. The entire purpose that Jesus came to this earth was to take our sin away. And it's urgent that we do this before night comes. Jesus provides a way to be healed. But kingdom living doesn't just require an interaction with the King. It requires that we live by faith. Kingdom living requires faith because Jesus provides a way of healing. And He says, now go. Go to Siloam and wash. Now we just read that and we skip over it and we think that it's no big deal. But I want to help you. And this is why I wanted to show the video. And it's so good if you watch the video. What's wrong with this man? Somebody tell me. Speak to me. Somebody speak to me. He's blind. Thank you. All right, so this man's blind. And where is he most likely sitting? Someone tell me. Outside the what? The temple, the temple. okay. Now, Jesus says, "I want you to go to Salome." So the temple's over there, Salome's over here. All right. Anybody have any idea how far Salome could have possibly been from the temple gates? 1500 yards. 1500 yards if my research is correct. Jesus should ask a blind man who has never seen anything in his life to get up from where he is and to walk 1,500 yards on the Sabbath day, which is breaking a rabbinic law, by the way, and to go all the way to Salome. And guess what? He cannot see. And he doesn't know how in the world to get there except for stumbling around, using his stick, padding, asking for help. And Jesus says, I've given you a way to have your sight but you're going to have to go and wash. You're going to have to go and show me that you want your sight. You're going to have to show me that you want this new life that I'm providing for you. What does it mean for us today? Faith leads to obedience. If you believe that there is a God in heaven who loves you and has sent His Son for you, you are going to do what He asked us to do. This morning, God says, if you're lost in sin, in Acts 2, The men there, the men and women that were present that day, what'd they say? What must we do to be saved? What'd Peter reply in Acts 2 and verse 38? Repent and be baptized. If you want salvation this morning, if you have faith that God loves you enough to send his son, it's going to lead to obedience. It's going to lead to action. It's going to lead to repentance and baptism. It's that simple. Faith leads to obedience. Whenever we put on Christ in baptisms, Galatians 3 and 27, we put on the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. Let's move on. Faith leads to joy. I want you to watch this with me. This is of a 66-year-old man. You might have seen this on um, Facebook. This is of a 66-year-old man who is seeing color for the first time. the car blind. I am color blind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now, oh. These are these are special glasses. Your kids have been engineered that when people wear them that are color blind, get to see color just like we all see. So. And it came with balloons and all that. Oh, my. I can put these on. It'll, it'll see how like it was supposed to be. To, it'll direct like it. yeah. your eyes so that you'll see how it starts to see it. <laughs> it's so clear again. If so 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 you'll right, go on to the next slide, please. So it's noticeable how powerful it is that this man had received the ability to see color, right? You can see how much joy he had. Now I want you to think that you've never, imagine that you've never seen anything in your entire existence. All right, I'm 20 years old, so imagine for the past 20 years I've never seen anything. I don't know what my mom and my dad looks like, I don't know what, what I look like. And you go to Salome and you're washing, and you wash the mud off, and you can see the water. And in the water, you can see your own face. And then you look up and you see the sky and the the beautiful blue and and the clouds. And then then you look around and guess what? You see other people. You see what other people look like for the first time. If a man that that sees color correctly can have that much joy, I, I beg you, how much joy does this man have that has never seen before? And now he can see because of Jesus. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? Because now he has the joy that he can be a part of society. He doesn't have to sit around and beg anymore. He can walk upright and he can know where he's going. He can see if somebody's throwing something at him. Because guess what? He's a beggar. That probably happened. He can go through the market and he can look at what there is to buy. He can have life for himself now because of Jesus. So the, the point I'm trying to make is simple. Does life in Jesus for you produce joy? Does faith in Christ Jesus produce joy in us? Because because faith in Christ gives us life and we now have hope and we have purpose and we have direction and we have answers and we have salvation and we have love and we have family and we have a Savior and I can keep going on and on, but there's so many reasons that faith should lead to joy in our life this morning. And so many times we come into church and we have this gloom and doom look on our face. I, I really question that we really know what it means to be a Christian whenever we have that look on our face. Because there's so many blessings in Christ Jesus that whenever our eyes are opened, that we can see. Faith leads to joy. And faith leads to a noticeably different life. This is so important. Faith leads to a noticeably different life. If you look at verses 8 through 12, you'll notice that the neighbors of the man who was born blind say, who in the world is this man? There's no way that he is the beggar. And the other friend says, yeah, I think that's him. Or maybe it's one that looks like him. And the beggar says, no, it's me. It's me, the blind guy. I can see now. And they're so confused because his life looks so different. He's not just hobbling around anymore. He knows where he's going and he can can look around and he can interact with people. It's so different in Christ. Life in Christ demands us to be radically different. It demands us to be radically different. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are expected to be new. There should be no hint of the old man whenever we're in Christ. This morning, if you are here and you are in Christ, and we are allowing the world to continue to be in our life, I ask you to repent. I ask you to come back home, because life in Christ demands us to be radically different. We cannot continue on in this world looking like the world. Christ has called us to a higher calling. Christ has called us to a new life. Stop sinning. If you look at 1 John, you'll notice how it says, those who call themselves children of God do not make a practice of sinning. You'll also notice that those who are children of God do not sin. We have to stop intentionally sinning. We have to stop being in the world. Like the world. And be radically different because faith demands and leads to a noticeably different life. Point number three this morning. Point number three, kingdom living always sides with the truth. Kingdom living always sides with the truth. This is going to come from verses 13-34. through 34. We're not going to read it all because there's a lot. The first thing that I want us to notice is, comes from the Pharisees. Look there at verse 13. They brought Him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened His eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Alright. Truth always triumphs over tradition. I don't care who you are what you want to say. Truth always triumphs over tradition. Now, Listen, I've been born and raised in the church of Christ, and you might be getting a little antsy in your seat, because I understand tradition's pretty important around here, right? Right? You know, we come in, we're going to have a couple songs, we're going to have a prayer, we're going to have another couple songs, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, you know, we're going to be here on Sunday night, we're going to be here on Wednesday night. I want to challenge your thinking. This man who is now seen, who's been blind forever, walks before the Pharisees and he says, this is what happened to me. I was blind and because of Jesus, I now see. Right? Life is awesome. And the Pharisees say, there's no way that man could have been from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Alright? Let's do some history. During the intertestamental period, you know, 400 years whenever uh, uh, God had not talked to to mankind, the Pharisees and, and the scribes the religious leaders to make sure they did not mess up you know, to make sure they did not mess up, added a bunch of laws on top of the Sabbath law, right? To, to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. So they added all these laws that are rabbinic laws, and they're based off of Exodus 20. But guess what? They're not biblical. They're not authoritative. Therefore, whenever they say that this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath, they're saying, this man can't be from God because he doesn't fit our box, does not fit our shape of what religion is supposed to look like. Because God would not act like that. God would not break what, God, uh, what we think God should do. Guess what? God's been doing things that humans think He should not have done for a very long time. It starts whenever uh, He created the world. And it's magnified whenever He sent Jesus to save us. Truth always triumphs over tradition. So what I'm trying to say here, this is all I'm trying to say, is that God established the church. God established a plan of salvation. God established worship on Sunday morning. God established uh, what worship should look like. God established fellowship. I can keep going about what God established, but let me tell you a few things that God did not establish. God did not establish Sunday school. God did not establish Sunday night worship service. God did not uh, establish uh, Wednesday night services. God did not establish the order of worship. God did not establish uh, this purple carpet in this church building. God did not establish that a church should be in a Walmart building. All right? There's a lot of things that we hold high and of value that God did not establish. And if we allow that tradition and that, uh, that way of always being to triumph over the truth, we're in the wrong. Because whenever we allow a tradition to triumph over the truth, the truth is not free to do what the truth does. Because what does the truth do? It heals the blind. The truth saves the sin sick soul. Because this man, who was, I think I just ran the batteries down. I'll just be loud. I'm sorry. I'm going long. This truth that is in Jesus, right? The sanctifying word, John 17 17. The truth that is in Jesus, John 14 and verse 6. And the truth of the Holy Spirit, John 16 and verse 13. If that is not able to freely reign here in this building because tradition must trump over it, we're in the wrong. Truth has to triumph. Over tradition, always Truth also always triumphs over trepidation. <laughs> truth always comes over trepidation, over fear. What do the parents do, right? They're asked two questions or three questions. Sorry. Uh, is this your son? Yes. Uh, was he born blind?" Yes. All right. What's the third question? How does he now see? And they say, "I have no clue how he sees now." Wow, they were afraid. They allowed fear to get in their way of the truth. And 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 it's understandable because one commentator wrote this about excommunication. The first form of excommunication did not amount to more than a severe rebuke. It would have excluded from the religious privileges uh, for 7 to 30 days. That's not the type we're talking about. The second form lasted for 30 days at least and might have been repeated at the end if if the third and final, uh, if if the required result was not um, shown. And the third and final excommunication is indefinite. The second of these forms was accompanied by a blast of trumpet and terrible curses, which deprived the sufferer of all kinds of social intercourse. He was avoided as a leper. If he died, he was buried without a funeral or mourning. And the third type was even worse and would have lasted for life. So they're afraid of being cut off from their society. They're afraid of being cut off from their way of life. And they allowed it to get in their way of knowing the truth of what they saw and what they had seen Jesus do in their son's life. We cannot allow fear to keep us from the truth. This morning you might be here and you don't want to get uh, become a child of God because there's something in your life that you're scared of. There's something scary about giving your life over to Christ because you're no longer in control. Uh, there's something scary about what might happen at work or what might happen with your social class or with your friends. We cannot allow fear to keep us from salvation. We cannot allow uh, fear to keep us out of heaven. We must always side with truth. And along with that, we cannot allow fear... To keep us from telling the truth to our friends and our family. It's a scary thing sometimes to talk about those that you love the most. About religion. Why? Because we're afraid to lose a relationship. Could I ask you what's worse? Losing a relationship here on this earth. Or losing one that could have lasted for eternity in heaven. We must always allow truth to triumph over trepidation. And then lastly... With this, truth always increases trust. Truth always increases trust. Look at, this comes from the man himself, the man that was born blind. Look at the man's uh, progress as he continues to tell about what happened in his life because of Jesus. John 9 and verse 11, Jesus is a man. John 9 and verse 17, Jesus is a prophet. John 9 and verse 33, Jesus is from God. John 9 and verse 38, Jesus is the Son of God. When we continue to tell people and continue uh, to tell ourselves what Jesus has done in our life, it increases our trust in what He can do and what He has done. Paul tells about how he boasts in his weakness because why? 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. Because in that, the power of Christ is made complete and made evident. Truth always triumphs. Kingdom living always sides with the truth. Alright, point number four. We're going to get faster. Kingdom living will cost you something. All right, so the parents were afraid and they didn't side with the truth because they didn't want to be excommunicated, right? Well, this man that was born blind continued to say the truth, right? So, what happened to him? He was cast down from the synagogue. He was shunned. Everything about his life was now that was the greatest day is now one of the worst days because it cost him something. What's your religion? What does your faith cost you? What does it cost me? I ask us if it hasn't cost us anything that we might not be living the way we should because faith. Kingdom living will always cost us something. Following Jesus comes with a price. Following Jesus comes with a price. And following Jesus can be discouraging. Because this man went from having sight and a great day to all of a sudden he's cashed out and nobody wants to talk to him. He doesn't, nobody wants to be around him. And it's discouraging. Have you ever been discouraged in your faith? I know I have. You know, Sometimes it can get hard. Uh, uh, being in ministry and being around people all the time you devote your entire life to trying to help people see the truth and you work with people all, all the time and it's just like they won't get it you know, maybe you've been the same way with friends and family or maybe you've been uh, discouraged because of people like me ministers who, who think we have it all together I'm just kidding, we don't think that and, and, uh, and it's discouraging it's okay, we can see in the Bible that it's okay to be discouraged sometimes but we have to always realize this Following Jesus comes with a friend. Following Jesus comes with a friend. Because notice what Jesus does as soon as He has heard about what has happened. Verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast Him out and when He had found Him, He said to Him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus heard by natural ways. Jesus heard through the Uh, through the grapevine, right? He heard uh, naturally like we would hear. And as soon as he heard that they cast him out, he went to him. And it is in that moment of weakness for this man that he is discouraged that Jesus asks the most important question that he will ever be asked. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Because whenever we are weak, that is whenever it's time to buckle in and say, I believe in the Son of God. Because in our discouragement is whenever our faith can be thrown out the window. But in our discouragement is also the time that our faith can be the most increased. Kingdom living, kingdom living will cost us something, but it comes with a friend. It comes with a friend. Now, this is the pinnacle. This is why I had Brother Bill read this, and I appreciate you reading this. Kingdom living produces worship. Kingdom living produces worship. If you go to the next slide. one more, please. Worship is rooted in belief. What does Jesus say to this man, right? He says, do you believe in the Son of God? He doesn't say, do you wish to believe? He doesn't say, will you believe? He says, do you believe? The reason is because Jesus has already done enough in His life for Him to know that He was Jesus. Jesus has already done enough in His life to to know that there is something different about Jesus. The same is true for us today. Our worship, us being here today, must be rooted. Our worship must be rooted in our belief that God is real, that God exists, that He has a Son and His name is Jesus, and that He came to save our life, and that He has an inspired Word. Those three things, our belief and our worship in God, must be rooted in those three beliefs. That we can look at the world and the cosmological uh, arguments, the, uh, the, uh, the cause arguments, you know, how man had to come from something. Or we can look at teleological arguments about design arguments, right? How if the world was a little bit closer, a little bit further away. We can keep going on. We can look at how there was 414 prophecies in the Old Testament that foreshadowed Jesus coming and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Or we could look at how uh, the Bible is beyond human production that over a period of 1,600 years and over 40 different men Uh, and over uh, three different languages that not once is there a mistake in it. You know, we can keep going on. And if we know and we believe that it has to be a God thing, it's got to produce worship. It's got to produce worship. Because I know without a shadow of doubt what Jesus has done in my life. And along with that, Along with that, worship's the condition of the heart. Because as soon as Jesus asks him, do you believe? Do you believe? He said, yes. Lord, I believe. I believe. Is our heart eager and ready to worship? We know that in John 4, Jesus Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and He says, those who worship must worship in what? Spirit and in truth. Hey, you know, we focus on the truth part a lot, don't we? The Spirit. The Spirit. Our worship must be a condition of our spirit. Our worship comes from the heart. And then finally, finally, worship is the only answer. Worship is the only answer. Proskuneo. Proskuneo is the, is the Greek word. And it literally means to fall down at the feet. To bow down before one. And Scripture says, as soon as Jesus asked, do you believe and the Son of God. And, Jesus, and, and the man says, Lord, show me who He is so I can believe. He was ready. And Jesus says, You have seen Him. And it is He who talks to you. And He falls down and worships. He says, Lord, I believe. And He worships. There is no other response for us This morning, if we believe in God and we know His goodness and we know what He's done in our life and our heart is ready to worship Him, there is no other response for the Christian coming into the assembly on a Sunday morning than worship, than to fall down on your knees before God. Not because you want something, not because uh, because of any selfish reasons, but simply because of the goodness of God and what He's done in your life. Worship is the only answer. So I ask you, What's your answer this morning? All right, this is point, point number six in the lesson's yours. Point number six. Kingdom living is life-giving. There's this last little bit where, where Jesus talks about, for judgment I've come into the world. And it seems really confusing. It seems there's a contradiction to John 3, verse 16 and 17. That's not the case. He's saying, I've came so that you can know the way to have life. He says, I came so that you can know right from wrong. He's saying, the only life that it can be found is in me. Only in Jesus is life found. He says, For judgment I have come, so that the blind may see and those who see may be blind, so that you will know the way to eternal life. This morning, if you're spiritually blind, I ask you to come to the Father. I ask you to come to the Son and have an interaction with the King. Because only in Him will we have life. Not only life on this earth, but life in eternity. And secondly, only in Jesus is there an opportunity to truly see. The Pharisees ask this question uh, that seems really harsh in how Jesus answers it. But the only reason He is so harsh in the way He answers it, and the only reason that, that He says it in this way, and is so abrupt always with the Pharisees, is so that they will finally, possibly, just maybe wake up. So that they will see that they're not really who God wants them to be. So I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to challenge you in a couple ways before. Today, today, these are the challenges. How can you apply this lesson today? Encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus. I I, I challenge you to find Jesus, to meet Jesus, because He's ready and willing to help you, and He wants to. This month, how can we apply this lesson this month? Let's find ways to side with truth. Always. Whether that's over our tradition. Whether that is over fear. Whatever it is, let's increase our trust by siding with truth. And then this year, broad scope, I want you to think about how we can worship God because it's the only answer. How are we going to worship the rest of this year purely? Out of our belief, out of our heart because it is the only answer for us. So this morning, you might be here and you might be blind. Uh, you might be hurt. You might think that you're overlooked. And you need a Savior. And I, I, I'm telling you, you have one. His name's Jesus and He's ready to help you. If you're ready to put Him on in baptism, you're ready to start this new life. You're ready to have your eyes open. Friends, don't leave here today blind. Do not leave here today because night is coming. Judgment is coming. If you leave here before you make it right with the Lord, it could have been your last opportunity. And the doors will shut and you're not getting in. I'm sorry, you're not. You're not. You have an opportunity now. Don't let it pass you. And if you need prayers this church, whatever it is, whether you're hurting, you're suffering, and you're ready to be healed, uh, you need help, whatever it is, let it be known as we stand As we sing. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid